Hello and welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. Hello, it's Liftoff, a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell, and I'm joined as always by somebody I already said hello to, and he said hello to me, but now I'm introducing him. It's Stephen Hackett. Hello. Hello. Welcome to episode 150. Whew, 150. That's pretty cool. Does it feel like we've talked about 150 episodes worth of... Sp- Actually, it feels more like 500 episodes worth of space stuff. It does. 150 episodes. And it, there's more stuff this week. <laughs> Isn't there always? Somebody very nicely wrote on Twitter, I think, saying, there's so much going on in space, I wish you guys would do liftoff weekly. And the answer is, we, we can't. We can't. We are too busy to do it weekly. But it's true. Uh, as I've said before here, I was worried every other week would not be... We would not have enough stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was wrong. Really wrong. Completely wrong. You want to tell us about uh, some uh, related subjects, Stephen? Yeah, let's start with good news. How about that? Okay, I love it. I feel like often space stories happen because something went wrong. Yeah. But China's Long March 5B stage didn't kill anybody. Okay, that's... uh, Yeah, that's a positive development, I guess. That's good. Found the ocean. I mean, they were irresponsible, uh, as we spoke about last time, with letting a stage come back into the atmosphere uncontrolled and land wherever it wanted to. But it came down in the Indian Ocean, and no one seems to have been hurt. There's no reports of any damage or anything. So that's that's good. good. Yeah. Just uh, if you are were in the, uh, what was it, the Maldives, mm-hmm. you know, let, I, I assume you are listening to this, that therefore you survived. <laughs> no reports that anybody even saw anything in the Maldives, I think. It was fun. I don't know if you were watching Twitter while it was going on, but, um, you know, the zone of possible landing for this thing was uh, enormous because it's, you know, orbiting the Earth. And so, like, uh, 15 minutes off and you're on the other side of the planet, basically. Or, you know, it, it's it's very rapidly. There was one thing that's like, we've, we've narrowed it down. It's definitely going to land in the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean. I was like, uh, <laughs> that's a big space. And then, of course, it didn't. It landed in the Indian Ocean. So that was pretty funny. But there were... um. You know, people didn't know whether it had re-entered or not, and they're asking people to send in pictures. And the ones that struck me is there were a couple of pictures from the Middle East of it going over uh, Israel and I want to say Saudi Arabia, and uh, and that was really kind of dramatic because it was like, oh, it hasn't. Uh, and it was like sun sunrise there. It was like, oh, it hasn't re-entered yet. It's you know, it's not it hasn't fallen yet. It's still up there. And then it was right at the end of that, and it was and then the, it plopped into the ocean at the Maldives. But that was kind of fun to watch on Twitter. Yeah, and the issue is not dropping boosters in the ocean. Lots of lots of space agencies do that. Sure, including the future SLS. But it's the uncontrolled, not sure when or where it's going to come down. Uh, that's the part that NASA and, and other people have condemned. In fact, NASA had a statement saying that spacefaring nations must minimize the risk to people and property on Earth of reentries of space objects and maximize transparency regarding those operations. And, uh, you know, we, we've mentioned this before, too. China does this over their own land, over their own people, and they drop stages or components uh, over populated areas, and that's incredibly reckless, And and this is... Better than that, but not by much. Yeah, not cool. Not cool. But Mm -mm. I read a story that said that it seems like they are working on it. 
that they've moved most of their launches to the ocean launch facility so that they aren't dropping stages on people's houses. Um, good. And uh, that this is another, uh, the, you know, one would hope as they're building their space station that they are not going to continue to kind of rain debris down on the on the globe. But we'll see. Yeah, they've got more of these heavy launches coming up, most definitely. This is a big rocket, and they're going to need mm-hmm. need it for their space station and other projects that they, they've undertaken. Okay, I'm going to counter your good news with some bad news. Okay. Although they both involve... Um, things falling to earth. I guess <laughs> uh, it's all how it's all how you view it. It's all about perspective. So that's right. Is the atmosphere half full or half empty? I um, it's mostly empty. I think, but the uh, so I've talked about Rocket Lab before. We've talked about that. They have the Electron Rocket. They're a local uh, Bay Area company. So you know, yay Alameda and go Rocket Lab. But they're having a tough go of it. They just had another uh, failure. Their second stage failed. This is the second time in less than a year that their second stage has failed. They lost two satellites that were their payload on this Electron launch. Um, And what they said is that an engine computer detected an issue shortly after stage two engine ignition, causing the computer to command a safe shutdown as it is designed to do. Now, this struck me funny because I was thinking, but shouldn't you like give it your best shot to get to orbit? Because otherwise the mission is a ruin. So why would you not give it your best shot? And I think the answer is because they're, speaking of the previous story, they want to be a good space citizen. What you really don't want to do is have a giant explosion that litters debris all over space. Uh, So instead, if it looks like the rocket might, you know, explode, the computer shuts it down. And that's what happened in in, uh, this particular mission. Um, so that's kind of a bummer, although there was some uh, silver lining to that, uh, which is that they recovered the first stage. There, It was a splashdown with a parachute. So, you know, that's an example of Rocket Lab uh, realizing that it needs to figure out reusability as well. It needs to. That, that's, the, that's the future of space competition, clearly, is you got to get your costs down, which means you got to be able to reuse your hardware. So they've started on that path now with this mission. But unfortunately, they didn't get the satellites up like they were hoping to. So that's a setback for them. They got to figure out what's going on with that second stage. Yeah. And that, that stage that they recaptured, uh, part of this flight was testing a redesigned heat shield made of a different material. And they seemed uh, happy with that. The company was very much like, this is secondary, just like SpaceX was. I mean, especially right. in the early days, but def- still now, if they don't catch the booster on the bar, it's like, well, that's secondary. That's fine. You know, the 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 payload is what's important. But as Rocket Lab continues to evolve its program, they definitely have to work out this upper stage business because they've they've lost a couple of um, missions now. One was July of last year. Uh, they don't seem to be related, but they need to hopefully continue to improve and, and work on this reliability. Let me give you another update. I'll tr- I'll, uh, I'll I'll do the next one here, uh, which is, is a good a, news. Uh, it's a good news. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and we're back to China too. So good news about China. So we have been t- telling you about Tianwen One, the orbiter that they sent to China. The China. Uh, Sent, or sorry, they didn't send it to China. China sent it to Mars. That's it. Mars is going to reciprocate <laughs> Mars and send an orbiter to back to China. Yep. <laughs> That's right. It's looking around. Found these soldiers, these terracotta soldiers. It's wondering what that is. Going to sample them, get them back to Mars. <laughs> They've been orbiting with Tianwen-1 since February. Uh, and unlike the uh, US uh, where uh, NASA tends to blast these things 
off from Earth and then they go straight into the Mars atmosphere and down onto the planet and we see what would happen. Uh, China has taken a, a little more hesitation, uh, a little hesitant approach, careful approach, where they, they got into orbit and they hung out there and they did some imaging, try to figure out what they wanted to do. And then just on May 14th, their lander and rover, who which is named Zhurong, um, descended. And it seems to have landed and uh, it's supposed to, uh, this weekend, roll off the lander, the rover, uh, which is a big rover. It's 530 pounds, 240 kilograms. Um, however, I think, curious, maybe not surprising, but curious, no photos yet have been released by the Chinese Space Agency. Um, and definitely my space Twitter list was full of people pointing out again as this was coming down and, and there were like things leaking out on social media in China that it seemed to have been successful, but there wasn't an official announcement for a while The people pointing out that other space agencies and NASA is definitely like this are, are to be credited for doing everything in public live, uh, including the risk of failure. And mm-hmm. we remember that there were some catastrophic failures, uh, on some Mars missions uh, early in this century or, or late in the last century. And uh, that, you know, that all happened, that all happened live too. You know, they, they own their mistakes. And so um, this is the one, one, another place I would say that maybe China should do better, but I think it's a combination of it being a, uh, a an authoritarian government that wants to control all information and also, uh, is very prideful, but at the same time, it's too bad because I think that you they also are missing some of the glory when they succeed by by having it come in a press release and no photos after the fact. So, mm. uh, but it's early days for for the Chinese space program really, and they're they're ramping up here, as we mentioned with their their launches and their space station and all of that. So we'll see how it goes. But for now, they don't roll that way. So we're hoping to see some images from the surface of Mars from Zhurong at some point, but it's down and that's a big deal because there have only been three countries that have landed anything on Mars soft landed. And, um, in, and then there's the mean category, which is, and then had it actually keep running because the, the <laughs> right. one Soviet lander didn't last very long at all. Whereas, so this is a big, I mean, this basically is, uh, China is number two on Mars now. Uh, just with this one mission, which is pretty great. And I guess Mars is number one in China in terms of alien planets sending probes to China. So there. That's the real news here, I think. Yeah, breaking. (laughs) Must credit liftoff. Yeah, and it's going to do, you know, Martian rover type stuff. Uh, They're going to look at uh, rocks and other geological structures where they landed, which is a pretty flat plane. You know, we talked about them maybe playing it a little safe with this being their they're new at this. This is a, a pretty flat, wide space that they've targeted, which means you don't have to be as specific with the the exact point where you come down. We talked about that with Perseverance, that where it touched down was a, uh, a much more difficult area than even NASA has tried in the past. So again, yeah, they, early NASA days. keeps ratcheting up their difficulty level mm-hmm. as they gain confidence. And so, yeah, it's not surprising that China is is um, not quite at that point yet, but they have had this success, which is pretty cool. So hope, hopefully we will see more from this rover in yep. the near future because it's supposed to roll off and go about its business starting this weekend. All right. I've got some uh, some news. I don't know if it's good or bad. It's political. So maybe bad. Yeah. 
I yeah, yeah. I I think bad, but um, could be not bad. We'll see. It's too early to tell. We have spoken about the Human Lander Sister System program, where NASA uh, several weeks ago, maybe even a couple months ago now, announced that SpaceX was their sole commercial partner for the Human Lander System. And Blue Origin and their team and Dianetics called foul, and the GAO is looking into this uh, this contract, making sure that it was done appropriately. That is a process that's ongoing. But in the background of that, you have the Senate working on putting together the next NASA Authorization Act. It's not finalized yet, but last week, uh, the committee working on it basically said, hey, you know, we want to do research, development, manufacturing, a lot of the sort of the stuff that you would expect to see in this document. But it also includes language about needing to fund at least two HLS contractors, not Mm -hmm. just one. So on one hand, you have the Government Accountability Office going back through this process that NASA went through to name SpaceX the sole winner. And then you have the Senate saying, you really got to fund at least two of these. But it's the, the congressional side of this is so interesting to me because the reason NASA says they only picked one is because the HLS only got 25% of the funding NASA asked for. And that, right. that budget comes through Congress. And so for 2021, NASA had asked for $3.4 billion for this program, and they only got $850 million. And so NASA says, look, we don't have enough funding to do two of these, so we went with what we thought was best. Yeah. We were going with SpaceX, mm-hmm. and maybe in the future, these other companies can come in and play. But for now, for this demonstration, for this first flight, SpaceX is is. Something I mentioned last time when we talked about this is it was an interesting kind of a a martial arts move on NASA's part to say, we're only funding one because you didn't give us money for more and sort of turn it on Congress. So I read this initially. Part of what's going on here is essentially that, right, which is uh, in this in this bill that is moving through the Senate. And then because of how the U.S. works, it would a version of it would need to be uh, put approved by the House, and then they would need to talk to each other and reconcile. There's a long way to go before this is final, but one thing that's in here is basically, we're going to give you more money, but you need to fund a second lander. Uh, you know, the fact that this is Senator Cantwell from Washington, it feels very much to me like this is essentially Jeff Bezos uh, having his senator, you know, world's richest man talks to senator about getting more money for his space program. Right. But on another level, it's like, this is sort of what NASA said, right? Which is, you want us to fund a second contractor, give us the money, but otherwise we're going to go ahead because our mission is to get to the moon, not to spend money very, very, very slowly across multiple vendors just because you think it would be nice. Yeah, it would take forever to finish anything yeah. with that small of a budget. What's also interesting here is the timing. I know when Eric Berger from Ars Technica wrote about this, he said, you know, potentially this could complicate things and slow things down because they might need to, uh, you know, basically tear apart the bidding process and start again. But it sounds like maybe that's being addressed in this bill where they're basically like, no, you just need to in, in a month, you just need to pick another winner and here's your money, which is interesting. 
also. Yeah, it, it is. And it, it really shows the tension between the goals NASA has for itself and the goals Congress may have for NASA or what Congress is willing to let NASA do. Listen, listeners to this show will know that we've talked for a while about um, the guy uh, in the congressman from Houston who was voted out um, two years ago. And he was Mr. Europa, mm-hmm. right? Culberson. Basically, the reason that the that the Europa Clipper is going to happen is that he had control of the purse strings and he put Europa money in the budget every year. Yep. And NASA didn't ask for it, but he put it in there. And so they're like, all right, because in the end, you know, it is a government agency and the Congress controls funding and can direct, can pass laws forcing government agencies to do certain things. So it is an interesting push and pull. Um, and, and so, you know, you can be like, how dare the Senate tell NASA what to do? It's like, well, they are kind of their boss too, just mm-hmm. as much as the executive branch <laughs> is because they hold the money and they can tell them what to do. And NASA, NASA has not, to make this point, you know, they didn't during the Europa funding be like, well, we're just not going to take it, right? They're like, no, we'll take it and we'll do the Europa thing. It's fine. Like you you told us to do it and that's that's how it works is the, the um, Congress tells them what to do. I'm more troubled by the, another thing, not, not surprised, but more troubled by the fact that this uh, proposal also includes something that would fund the exploration upper stage of the SLS. Cause like, um, what? <laughs> that that really feels like somebody wants that done, and so you put it in. Yeah, to make it and it whether it's uh, I forget which senator, but there's uh, Wicker. Uh, who is thought to be um, behind this, where they basically want to, they want to add, Wicker's from Mississippi, he wants a, a bunch of like extra money spent at Stennis on uh, being able to do more like SLS tests because he wants these, you know, Stennis is in his state. And so he basically yeah. wants to keep them busy. This is the most obvious piece of pork in, I mean, the SLS is already arguably a, a, a more of a jobs program than it is a space program. But this is very clearly that like exploration, like we're not clear that the SLS should even continue and they want to fund the, um, the upper stage, the exploration upper stage, which the idea there is that that's like the more powerful second stage that NASA is not even thinking about for anything in the near term for Artemis. Um, and so it's like more money, $10 billion more dollars and more time making NASA develop this thing when NASA's just trying to get to the moon. And I don't know, it would be it would be a real shame if NASA ends up getting basically steered away from their goals of getting to the moon because it's more important than NASA spend money in districts than it is to actually go into space but Mm -hmm. that's that's always been a push and pull with nasa and it's going on now and we don't know whether this stuff is going to get trimmed out of this bill this bill is very interesting it is a bipartisan bill it's primarily focused on um american competitiveness with china speaking of china again um it's it, it at least as we record this it seems to have mostly bipartisan support which is rare um, however, there are things in it that might cause the Republicans to drop out. They need 60 Republican senators in order to pass this because of the filibuster rule. Yeah, 60 total senators. 60, well, yes, right, that 60 senators, including 10 Republicans at this point, would have to go along with it, along with all the Democrats in order to pass it. So if this is going to really work, it, it they're going to need to keep it bipartisan. And there's a question of like, 
is, are, you know, does Wicker basically say you don't get my vote unless this is in there? And do they have other senators that they can get instead? I think last thing I saw was that there might be 80 Republican senators who are for it. So they might be able to do it. But that it's still, you know, what's the old saying about the two things that you don't want to see how it's made are laws and sausages? Well, <laughs> this is one heck of a sausage that's going on here. We're going to come back to the politics here at the end of the show because Bill Nelson mm. has given an interview to The Verge that touches on oh, actually a lot of what we've spoken about today. But uh, before we get there, let me tell you about some friends of ours. Uh, a good friend of ours, Shelly Brisbane, is the host of Parallel, a tech podcast here on Relay FM. Accessibility in tech has come a long way in the past few years. Operating systems can speak, display high contrast text, and support alternative ways to touch the screen or move around it. And big players in the tech space now speak regularly about their accessibility efforts. But are those efforts and all that software any good? Well, this is where Shelly comes in. She's a longtime journalist and accessibility expert. She and her guests put accessibility into larger context. Uh, sometimes it's about devices and software. Sometimes it's about making a living in a world that's powered by more tech every day. Uh, think about it as a, a cake with accessibility sprinkles. Are you, are you just hungry now, Jason? Just ready to go? Can we mm, eat some sprinkles. Cake? So go check out Parallel at relay.fm slash parallel or search for Parallel wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for the SLS segment, Jason. Space launch system segment. Explaining geopolitics, mechanical systems, engineering achievements, news, and trivia. SLS segment. The worm returns. <laughs> That's the subtitle. Uh-huh. NASA put out this uh, this little blog post a couple days ago that the Orion spacecraft receives, I'm quoting, another iconic NASA worm logo ahead of the uncrewed Artemis 1 mission. So they have painted the worm logo on the side of the crew module adapter. That's mm -hmm. uh, basically the ring in between the Orion capsule and the European built service module. The worm really does fit much better on on shapes like this, right? Because like a meatball, it would have to be, meatballs sort of I mean, it's circular, but like the the worm can be wide, and it is. You don't you don't want to squish the meatball, is what you're saying. The worm, yes. No, that's fit. no good. You know, nobody wants to squish meatball on the side of a rocket. That's no good. Then it's just a sausage patty. Why do we keep talking about sausage today? You know, I come around on the worm. Like I, I think the worm versus meatball was a problem for me, but like having the worm be around is great because it's fun. And it is my childhood NASA logo, really. So that's right. Uh, that's all good. I like. I love. I love the classicness of the meatball. Um, why can't we have both? So yeah, perfect. This was previously on the bottom part of the adapter. So once the rocket was all staged, you wouldn't see it. So they decided to put it on the outside as well. But it's also, also on the the vertical parts of the rocket. So, you know, you mentioned that it works well horizontally. I think it also works well vertically. Uh, it is on the uh, twin solid rocket boosters. So it's just going to be all over the place. Yeah, they're warming it up. Well, I mean, nothing says this is our rocket. <laughs> this SLS is our rocket, like lots of logos. So here's what I want to ask you. Yeah. The worm has been officially retired since 1992, we saw it come back a couple of years ago with commercial crew. Uh, now it's all over the SLS. 
So does the worm mean crude missions, even though even though this first Artemis mission isn't crude, but eventually they will be? Or is it just like a thing they put on cool missions? Like what is there any rhyme or reason to where the worm is used? I think the worm, I, I said this before, the worm is like a sports logo. It's like alternate alternate logo. And some teams like their alternate logo is even more popular than their than their regular logo. So um, I, I think you use it where it where it fits and where it looks cool. I do wonder. Um, I was thinking maybe the worm is your uh, put it on spacecraft logo, and the meatball is more of a you know letterhead or maybe a patch on a spacesuit kind of thing. Yeah, but not not on the side of a spaceship. Maybe maybe the worm is the right shape and readability for something like a big old rocket or something like that. So that's my that's my best guess is that worm, you know, letterhead, patches on uniforms, stuff like that, great. Any place that you can have that kind of circular thing but uh, for the meatball, but the worm everywhere else. Well, it looks super good as a patch. Better than the worm, I think. I think so. Well, I mean, it basically looks like a patch. So yeah. <laughs> meatball, that's like, I think you get to just, we all got to learn where the NASA logos fit. You, you know, I think I think uh, agency stuff, official stuff, use the meatball. Patches on uniforms, use the meatball. Spacecraft, worm it up. That's what I say. Glad we could clear that up. Yeah, yep, we did it. So, um, Stephen, you, you teased it. I need to know about it. Mm-hmm. Our new NASA administrator spoke to The Verge. What? Uh, what did he say? Did he give away any spoilers? Yeah, so this is a, a really, really fascinating interview. You should definitely go read it. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, it touched on several big themes, some of which are very of the moment. I think some are sort of broader, maybe how uh, Bill Nelson thinks about NASA and its role in the world. Uh, they started with the human lander system, which we just spoke about. Uh, Bill Nelson, during his... It was either his interview in front of Congress or right afterwards, but he's spoken on the human lander system issue before, the problem we just talked about of the budget and the GAO and one company versus two companies. Uh, He does believe that the HLS program needs competition, but that that's only possible if Congress funds it at a level that can pay for competition, (laughs) right? Uh, He also continues to hold the door open for a second company or more competition in later missions. Uh, mm-hmm. SpaceX award is really only for the demonstration flight. Yeah, that's one of the frustrating things about this whole sort of like, how dare you not pick two is like they, they did make it. It does give SpaceX a leg up, but it was for the first flight. And then the idea was that they would fund later flights and open that up to more competition. So it's not like, they closed the door on all the competition for SpaceX. Right. And I mean, I guess you can see it from their point of view is that even if they're not the first one to land, that they want to have the time to be ready. And or is it going to be an issue? Well, yeah, they m- maybe are selected for flight two, three, or four, but there's not enough time to actually be ready without spending a bunch of their own money. Right. You can see how this goes just round and round. This is why this is such a complicated issue. Uh, But I don't think there was anything new in what Nelson said about this, but I think he just continues to be willing to wait on the on the GAO and Congress to see what NASA's next steps are, because I don't think NASA can really 
change anything about what it's done without either being forced to. And then I don't, even if the GAO forces them, I don't know. I don't know how they pay for it. Yeah. Probably in ways that we wouldn't necessarily agree with. I mean, this is why Bill Nelson's in charge, right? Is he should be able to navigate these these waters, these issues. Yeah. And, and in that interview, we talked about that. He's like, yes, I've been speaking to people in Congress and in the White House. So he, he like his predecessor, can play that game better than maybe some other NASA administrators have in the past. Well, he's got a challenge out of him. So it'll be interesting to see how they how they keep this on, on track or what compromises they need to make in order to get this all approved. Because ultimately, they want to get to the moon and they need the money for it. So it's like, how do we get people to support this thing, but in a realistic way. Uh, up next, we have the SLS, mm. which of course, Bill Nel- Nelson, <laughs> while in Congress, had a very strong hand in making the SLS program a thing. Uh, he is just hardcore defending the SLS program. He sees a vigorous future for the SLS, so I guess he doesn't believe in Eric's one-and-a-half launch <laughs> uh-huh. uh, prediction. And uh, I kind of felt like he was dismissive of the criticism because in the interview, uh, the Verge reporter, uh, Joey Roulette, who did this, was like, look, there's a lot of people who are very critical of the SLS and they have uh, good points and they say it's a jobs program. And he basically says, well, you know, uh, space is hard. We're getting ready for it to fly. Yeah, the NASA cliche uh, drinking game is just whenever somebody says space is hard, that's that's it. And you'll be you'll die. Don't play this game because it happens. It's such a non-answer, right? Look, it's hard. It hasn't flown yet. That's his answer. Um, and and the others that were the ones in competition, none of those have flown. It's like, well, yeah, but like we, you can't pretend that what happens over in commercial crew isn't going to have an impact over here too, and that the world hasn't changed in the last decade. But it sounds like he's going to try to pretend that. Yeah, uh, I don't love his take on the SLS. I get it, but I don't yeah. agree with it. Well, and he may just realize, you know, whether he believes it or not, he may realize that you can't say anything about it because Congress is listening and you're trying to get mm-hmm. your funding through Congress. So you may just have to, you know, just yeah. keep it under your hat. There's a, a stark difference in this administration's view of climate change over the previous one. It's probably <laughs> no surprise to anybody. He was asked about it and he was asked about NASA's role uh, in studying climate change in the earth sciences, things that for four years the Trump administration tried to basically strangle out of NASA's budget. He is staunchly in favor of using NASA and its spacecraft and its science to measure climate change and take those steps to mitigate climate change. And he talks about this um, this moment he had on the shuttle by like looking down at Africa and and seeing Madagascar and, you know, kind of being, kind of having this moment of seeing the earth and realizing that not only is it super important, but being able to see from orbit damage that humankind had done to the planet. And he's like, yeah, you know, we can poke fun of his time on the shuttle and that's probably deserved to some degree. But I thought this was a nice moment in the interview of like, yeah, this is not only important for the obvious reasons, but he has or seems to have this personal connection to it. And I would expect that under his leadership and definitely the Biden administration, that NASA will be 
at the table when it comes to climate change. Yeah, this is the one thing in NASA policy that we all expected would change in a new administration. Mm -hmm. So, you know, definitely that's going to be the case. Absolutely. And then uh, lastly, he was asked about international partners, uh, specifically Russia and China. Uh, he says that he does want and and back positions to keep the International Space Station up and running until 2030 with commercial partners taking over after that. And he believes that Russia will be their partner in the ISS as long as NASA's there or as long as the space station is there. Uh, I do think it's interesting. He They talk directly about the the Wolf Amendment, which is the law that we've mentioned before that bars NASA from partnering with the Chinese space agency. And he says, look, even though that's the law, there are things that we can still do. We can still cooperate on on certain things. Like if they land on Mars, this was done, this interview was done the day it was supposed to land. You know, we can share information about that. We can communicate about space junk, you know, uh, which is a, a huge concern in low Earth orbit. And he says, look, you can still have a cooperative relationship even if you're not working directly. Uh, he was then asked directly, do you think the Wolf Amendment should be changed? And he, uh, he gives an answer that, I mean, on one hand, it's like a politician answer, but I, on the other hand, I kind of like it. He's like, look, give me some more time at NASA and then I can answer that. Right. I'm very curious to see not only through the with the Biden administration, but everything that's gone on with China over the last four years with the previous administration and news that China is working on a space station project, potentially with Russia. Can the Wolf Amendment stand for the next decade? Does it have to change for NASA to continue to do what it does? Uh, I just think it's going to be a very interesting period of time we're entering where I think this law is going to be talked about a, a lot more. Yeah, it's it's definitely a question of how do they want to proceed with dealing with China, right? Do, do, is, it, is this a fundamentally adversarial relationship or not? And I mean, what's what's funny about it is the Wolf Amendment is so extreme that although you can get permission and they have collaborated on some things just on a very high level, exchanging some data and things like that, it is uh, it is extreme in the sense that the, there was an Apollo-Soyuz mission, right, in the 70s, the, the working with the Soviet Union. Yeah. They are not allowed to collaborate in any way with uh, with the Chinese space agency because mm -hmm. of the how how it, it's not a matter of policy it's a matter of law and I my problem with the Wolf Amendment is not that there isn't a um, I think a serious question about like what is the U.S.'s relationship with China and what is it in space and how do we want to approach that um, and I think there is a philosophical question there about how you know do we view space as adversarial or do we view space as some place that we want to try to encourage cooperation but the Wolf Amendment, what it does is um, take all of that out of the hands of everybody who's involved in space policy. And it, it you know, they passed that law uh, almost a decade ago, and it's just sitting there completely, I would say, distorting U.S. space policy, because as long as it's on the books, nobody can do anything. Mm -hmm. The And, and uh, yes, it's that's an interesting one. It might be interesting to see if uh, Bill Nelson might talk to his friend, the president of the United States about 
whether that should be something that they put in their priority list to just mm-hmm. repeal that so that they can make their own decisions about it. However, I will say the climate in, in Washington right now regarding China, as we mentioned that other bill that's going on, more collaboration with China does not seem to be on the agenda. No. Doesn't seem like it's going to happen politically, but you never know. It would be, you know, it, it's just, it's so limiting, but I, I, I can see them saying, look, we don't have any plans, but we want to be free to do this as events warrant. And the response will be, well, yeah, but they're bad, so you shouldn't, and we're not going to repeal this. It's like, all right, like you know, as long as it's the law, there's nothing we can do. Yeah, and interestingly, Pam Melroy, who's now- See, she's, she's designated to be the deputy, but has not been approved yet. She served on the Biden-NASA transition team, and in an interview with Politico at the end of last year said that excluding China was a failing strategy, yep. and that it was important that, that we, being U.S. and NASA, engage- with China on these issues. And so I think there is definitely a a growing support to revisit this, but like you said, doing it now, uh, I just I just don't know. Um that I'll put that Politico story in the uh, in the show notes because it is it's really interesting to talk to a lot of people about it. And the the truth is that um and this is something that um has been brought up before. I think Charlie Bolden made this point in that same article that the issue is not even necessarily about China specifically, but it has created a situation, again, distorting sort of how this works, where NASA's partners are working with China. Russia is working with China. ESA is working with China on some projects. And NASA, what that does is it means that those projects NASA is not allowed to participate in. So it freezes NASA out. So it's, you know, it, 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 it has a lot of uh, fallout. So I guess we'll see what happens, but I'm not super enthusiastic about the possibilities there. Well, I think that about does it for the episode, but you want to tell people what we're cooking up for Relay FM members? Yeah. So if you're a Relay FM member, um, you will get, no matter what shows you support, you'd be lovely if you supported Liftoff, but regardless of the shows you support, if you're a member at all of Relay FM, you will get the member specials that are happening um, on May 24th, our liftoff special is going to be published. It goes in the crossover feed um, where you get all the annual bonus specials from this year and past years. You get it all. Um, the feed is in the podcast section of your memberful page once you're signed in to our memberful site, which is uh, linked to off of Relay FM, relay.fm slash membership. That's where you need to go. Um, and what we're going to do is watch a movie, which was generally what we do for these specials. Uh, we're going to watch Stowaway, which is a, an original movie on Netflix um, that is about space and uh, is apparently, you know, very dramatic and thrilling. And we will decide whether we like it or not. And we will decide whether the science is good or not. But if you want to go watch that first, be our guests. We're going to talk about it. And then uh, that'll come out on May 24th. So... Uh, if you'd like to support us, that would be great. But again, all Relay FM members will get it. Relay.fm slash membership. How'd I do, boss? It was great. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Space movies. Yeah. It's on, my, it's on my to-do list. I've been meaning to watch that movie, and I didn't have a reason to actually force me to do it, and now I do. So we'll watch that movie. Mary and I are going to... I've seen it once. Mary and I are going to watch it together the night before we record. So all right, it'll be fresh in my mind. Good, good. Well, if you want to check out links to the stories we spoke about, head on over to our website at relay.fm slash liftoff slash 150. There you can get in touch. There's an email link in the sidebar. You can join and support Liftoff directly. But again, all Relay FM members of any shows, 
So if you're a member of one of our other shows, thank you very much. Uh, be sure to check out the Liftoff annual special next week. You can find us online. Jason is at jsnell on Twitter, and you can follow me there as ISMH. Until our next fortnight, Jason, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, y'all. <laughs>